Hey, this is Carl Anderson. I'm the senior pastor of Sierra Bible Church, and this is our sermons podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today, and I hope that this message fills your soul with hope, helps you see the beauty of Jesus, and allows you to feel the love that God has for you. If you want more information about experiencing God's love for you personally, head over to sierrabible.org and contact one of our pastors. I love you, and I'm praying for you. Good morning and welcome to Sierra Bible Church. I always feel as that music's playing in the background that I just need to bob my head a little bit. We are finishing the book of Psalms this morning. We're going to be in Psalm 46. If you brought your Bible, please open with me there. Uh, We'll be closing up the book of Psalms. Uh, The next week, we'll have a special Father's Day message from a guest speaker. And uh, then the following Sunday, we are going to be starting a brand new series that's going to last us through the summer, through the book of 1 Timothy. Uh, So if you brought your Bible, please open with me to Psalm 46. As someone nudgingly uh, elbowed me this morning saying, so are we finishing the book of Palms this morning? I said, ah, wise guy, eh? We are finishing the book of Psalms, the book of the collection of Psalms. We are finishing the singular Psalm 46 this morning. Uh, how many of you loved summers growing up? Growing up as a kid, you, did you love the summer? I loved the summer. I, I still grew up uh, during a time period in which uh, my parents were like, okay, school's out, you're out. Uh, the weather is nice, so you need to get outside and you need to stay outside and you can come back inside when I tell you you can come back inside. Usually that's only for dinner. But until then, you need to stay outside, which in the subdivision that I grew up in, it just meant a lot of us rowdy six, seven, eight, nine, and ten-year-olds did a lot of rowdy stuff, especially as it related to the empty lot next to our subdivision. Anybody have an empty lot next to their subdivision where they played some sandlot baseball or did some things that would look, be looked down upon by parents today, uh, as children do, did back in the day? Well, uh, what I liked to do, or well, one summer, my friends and I had this bright idea, because in this empty lot, there was a couple of trees and, uh, there was, a, a surrounding shrubs and and forests. This is in the Midwest, so there's actually trees, uh, as opposed to Nevada, where there's a couple down by the river. But other than that, you got to go up to the mountains to find some trees. Well, in the Midwest, trees are plentiful. And my friends and I had a great idea one summer. We saw a tree, and in this empty lot, there was just this random piece of plywood. And we thought to ourselves, you know what? We're wise. We're constructive. We're going to be structural engineers someday. We're going to take this piece of plywood and we are going to build ourselves a fort in that tree right there. So what we did, we took this piece of plywood and maybe six or seven of us randomly went throughout the entire lot and in the trees and we tried to gather as many sticks as we possibly could because what is going to support your weight on top of a tree on a piece of plywood than 40 or 50 sticks, right? 
So we gathered about 40 or 50 sticks together. We tried hoisting up the plywood in the, the lot, the, the, the part of the tree where it perhaps might have been able to fit. And we took 40 or 50 sticks and lodged them up. And, and the, the, the plywood was on the, in the tree, lodged up on sticks. And you could tell by looking at it, it was doing a balancing act. And so uh, with the five or six of us, seven, eight, nine, ten-year-olds, we're looking at that plywood, we're thinking, we're pretty good at this. <laughs> and if it wasn't for one of our particular friends who said, stop, I don't think we should go up on top of that. I don't think it can hold the weight of all four or five of us. Let's just hold off for now. Had it not been for that one prophet sent by God, we would have most likely had a trip to the emergency room. But thankfully, wisdom intervened and we did not get up on the plywood propped up with 40 or 50 sticks, just lodged into a tree there. And one of our friends said, you know what? My dad works construction. Let's go ask him for some help. So we went and asked him. He came down and said, son, you did the right thing in asking me to come down and help. And within a couple of hours, he cut the plywood. He got out his nails. He nailed it to the, nailed it to the tree. He lodged in some steps so that we didn't have to climb up the tree itself. And within a couple of hours, one afternoon, our construction worker, father of one of my friends, was able to build a secure tree fort that would protect us from all of the pirates of the suburbs of Chicago. We built a safe and secure tree fort, not because of the wisdom of five, six, and seven-year-olds. We were safe and secure because we had the knowledge and strength and expertise of someone who was greater than us in our, all of our wonderful six, seven, and eight-year-old wisdom. Brothers and sisters, the same is true of our spiritual lives. If we try to protect ourselves spiritually, if we seek in our own strength the wisdom and security that we in, within ourselves have to protect ourselves from the dangers of this world, both evil spiritual dangers and just practical physical dangers, if we seek in our own strength to build up a fortress for ourselves, we are going to be as foolish as six-year-olds trying to build a tree fort out of sticks and a piece of plywood. Brothers and sisters, if we get nothing from this rest of this message here this morning, please, please understand this. If there is a protector, 
If there is one to trust who has the strength, the wisdom, the ability to guard and protect our spiritual lives, it does not reside in you, nor does it reside in me, but it resides in the one in whom we are to behold, the one in whom we just sang to, the one in whom is filling this congregation with his presence as I speak. It is our God. God is our fortress. And because of that, we can remain unflinchingly secure in Him. This is the bold affirmation of this psalm that causes our hearts to respond with trust in our great God. We are going to see in this psalm three responses of unswerving trust in the strength and power of our great and glorious God. In uh, 2014, uh, the chap- Chapman University did a, did a study on human fears. Uh, they said that there are essentially five top American fears. If you have any, any guess of what they might be, num- number five is needles. Anybody scared of needles? And some of you are like, no, poke me all you want. <laughs> the number five top fear is needles or blood. Number four top American fear is drowning. Some of you are like, yep, I swim like a rock. Number three fear, and this is going to resonate with some of you, are bugs, snakes, spiders, or other creepy animals. The ladies in here are nodding their heads. I did not think it was going to be parsed out so evenly on that one. I guess, husbands, that's why you are the official spider killer of your home. Number three is bugs, snakes, or other animals. Number two, and you all have this dream, Number two is the fear of heights. I love standing on the edge of the platform specifically because it makes one person in our congregation feel so nervous that I'm going to fall off the platform. And he mentions it to me after every, Carl, you move around up there so much and you're leaning over the, you're just going to tumble over. And yeah, what would be the worst thing that would happen? I break a leg, I get to go to the hospital and somebody gets to visit me for a change. The number two American fear is the fear of heights. And the number one fear in America, according to a 2014 study at Chapman University, because all of the pastors throughout all of the churches are so poor at this and embarrass themselves so greatly that they do not want to be embarrassed in this way, the number one fear, according to the survey of Americans in 2014, is the fear of public speaking. That was a universal one. Everybody nodded their head. Yep, I do not like doing that. Fear, it's sourced in uncontrollable situations that seek our harm. 
Whether it's needles we think are going to impose upon our lives or drowning that water is going to come over the top of us and our strength is going to be sapped or bugs or snakes or creepy things that are seeking our harm or heights in which we have no control over how we are going to get down from this crazy situation that we have found ourselves in or public speaking where we are before a group of people and all of the eyes of all of the people that we cannot control are zeroed in on every single one of our imperfections. I'm uncontrolled and afraid. Some of you, even as I'm talking about these things, you can feel your heartbeat racing a little bit. You can feel the anxiety level uh, increasing just a little bit inside of your heart, even though we're just talking about it and you're not being threatened with a bug or a spider. I'm not asking you to come up here and public speak in front of everybody, but just the mention of it raises your heartbeat a little bit. Fear is a universal human response to situations in which we feel out of control. How are we going to get control back into our life so that we don't have to fear this situation that we found ourselves in? That's the backdrop of this psalm. The psalmist is, is finding himself in a situation that is not secure. And he's tempted in his soul to fear in response to the situation. But notice how he deals with it. He doesn't deal with his own fear, trying to source his refuge, trying to source his strength in his own strength or in his own fortress. Look at what he says in verse 1. God is our refuge and strength. The question that the psalmist is trying to answer is he's, he's asking himself, he's reflecting, this situation is bad. I've found myself in a situation in which my heart is tempted towards fear. Where am I going to find refuge for my soul? Where am I going to find the strength that my soul craves in order to get out of this particularly bad situation? And he unashamedly and boldly declares in verse 1, God is our refuge and our strength and answers the question clearly in the remainder of verse 1. A very present help in trouble. The, ES, the, the, the verb that the ESV translates, present, is a, it's a great verb. And it's a good translation of very present being, it's right there and available for you. But the, the, the literal translation of it is even more powerful than just being a very present help. It means a found help. So the psalmist is, is asking himself, where can I go in my time of trouble? Where can I go when I do not have the strength? Where can my soul run to for refuge? God is my refuge and my strength, a found help in my time of trouble. And therefore, verse 2, the response of the soul to the found help that, can, that is found in the presence of their God, therefore, the response Therefore, we will not fear. I found myself in a predicament that, that I can't control. 
I've been brought on a platform before hundreds of people and I don't have anything to say. I'm in my house, it's the summertime, and the ants just will not stop their invasion of my food. <laughs> I've lived in Nevada long enough to know what the creepy things that are, that are around here. We still haven't had an altercation with a scorpion yet, but I'm sure it's coming at some point. In fact, that was one of our questions before we came up. Do you guys have scorpions? Those sound dangerous. We haven't had one yet, but uh, I'm sure it's coming. If you find one, <laughs> side note, just take a picture, send it to me, and like, oh, sweet, there's a scorpion. And I will print off a large picture and hang it above my wife's bed. <laughs> Happy anniversary! God is our refuge and our strength. Therefore, we will not fear. And then he highlights the absolute worst predicament, the most chaotic predicament that he could poetically paint with his words. The things that could give our soul security here naturally now. And he just says they're all gone. Look at what he says in verse 2. Though the earth gives way. The security of being able to walk on dry ground is no longer secure. The earth gives way. Though the mountains, these massive created structures that are seem to be unmovable and unshakable, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Now we also need to understand that in the ancient Near East, particularly for the Hebrew people, the, the sea was not this glorious, uh, they, they were not a glorious seafaring people. They just enjoyed long cruises through the sea. The sea was the place of chaos. The sea was the place of the abyss. The sea was the place of the unknown and the fearful. So when it says that the earth has moved and that the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, it's saying Everything in creation has been turned upside down and the chaos of the sea is overwhelming our existence. And then it amplifies that chaos in verse 3, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains tremble, the security of the mountains are scared that the increase of the chaos coming from the sea toward the mountains, and they are trembling at its swelling. That The psalmist is painting the most chaotic picture that his words could paint in the midst of the ancient Near East that would evoke fear within his audience. And he's saying, amidst all of that, God is my refuge. God is my strength. Therefore, I will not fear even the most chaotic situations that I find myself in. And he does the thing that we've seen throughout this entire book. Inserts Salah. A pause. Let's think about that. If everything in my life that I find secure goes... God is my refuge. God is my strength. A found help in my time of trouble. 
Now, some of you saw this a couple of weeks ago, experienced this a couple of weeks ago. This was new for us, at least as an entire family. Uh, But I am relaxing after a long day uh, at the office. I'm sitting there watching my sports center, catching up on all the wonderful highlights that have gone on in the sports world uh, throughout the day. Andrea is doing her well-deserved nightly ritual of taking a bath and relaxing uh, after taking care of children for the entire day and working really hard and she is relaxing and I'm sitting there just (laughs) completely relaxing trying to focus on what is happening in the world of sports and all of a sudden you guys were there I saw all of you post on it on on, on Facebook immediately after it happened all of a sudden the, the ground starts shaking a little bit and before I even knew what had happened, before I even thought, oh, maybe the, a large truck just drove by our house, uh, everyone's throwing up on social media, did you feel that? I was a four-pointer. Andrea gets out of the bath and says, like, my goodness, our bathroom turned into a wave tank there for, for, for a little bit. And my son comes out of his room, knocks on our door, he goes, that was shaky. <laughs> and my daughter, the bundle full of energy from 7 in the morning till 8.30 at night, she slept all the way through it. Nothing is going to wake her up after she has spent her entire day. And and so I let my mind in that moment, or maybe a little bit after, I let my mind just go to the extreme. I know some of you don't need to actually do an exercise on this. Your, your mind naturally does this without anybody having to prod you in this direction, but I have to think about it in these types of terms. And, and I thought about it, what, what would happen if literally the, the earth split open and my house was consumed? Like, what would happen if all that I find security in, in my family and our church and uh, my car and and at my house, if all of it was swallowed by the earth and it was all destroyed, if everything that I, that I find temporary comfort in was completely taken away. Now, specifically if any of you men, if any of you men respond in the, to this saying, thank you, Lord Jesus, your heart is in the wrong place. But I let my mind go there and think, how would I respond if everything that was precious was taken from me temporarily? Now, I'm not saying I'm a spiritual all-star in this particular area of my life, and there are a number of times when I genuinely am filled with a response of sinful fear. But at this particular moment, at this particular time, as I was reflecting on the loss of of everything in my life, my mind instantly went to Psalm 46. God is my refuge and strength. A very present help in my time of trouble. Therefore, I, I will not fear, even if my house gets consumed, swallowed by an earthquake. Even if I lose my computer and my possessions and my books and my car, even if I have to face the reality of an unspeakable tragedy in which I lose the loved ones that I have come to rely upon, 
My heart will not fear, for God is my refuge and my strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Fear is a very natural emotion, a natural response to an uncontrollable situation when we think about what we perhaps potentially might lose or how we might interact with a dangerous situation. Joy, on the other hand, is experienced by the soul when we are comforted and secure in love. When we experience the the fullness of love, love casts out all fear, as the Apostle John writes in 1 John. And when we are fully loved, we're not afraid of whatever may come our way. And this is why the psalmist transitions uh, from fear and toward joy as he meditates upon God being his refuge and his strength. Why? Because this is where God dwells in verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. In the ancient Near East, and even in biblically speaking, a river is that which brings life. And from the overflow of life comes an abundance of joy. In fact, uh, the, uh, the famous uh, 19th century preacher, Charles Spurgeon, writes on this particular psalm, the great fear of an eastern city in a time of war was that the water supply would be cut off during a siege. In this verse, Jerusalem, which represents the city of God's dwelling, is described as well supplied with water. There is a city in where God dwells in which the rivers of joy flow continually. For the the citizens in this city of God, they are well supplied and they overflow with abundant joy and there is no reason for them to seek their joy in any other source than the overflow of abundance that comes with being in the presence of their God. Therefore, he says, God is in the midst of her, verse 5, She shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. There's no reason for her to go seeking joy any other place because God is in her, is with her in the city and God is her protector. God is her strength. God is the source of the city's life and the source of the city's joy. She shall not be moved, for God helps her when the morning dawns. Verse 6, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. Another scholar writes of this particular verse, the city of God stands in contradiction to the pretensions of all human institutions that claim supremacy in human life and culture. Isn't that beautiful? The courts, the hospitals, the schools, 
the military, the religious institutions, they all rage. They all get infuriated when their kingdoms are shaken. How dare you do this or do that? They all rage. But the city of God has a flowing, abundant, and peaceful river providing joy to its citizens. Therefore, they shall not be moved. God dwells in her midst and helps her continually as the nations rage, as the institutions fuel themselves with anger and totter. He, God, utters his voice, the earth, including all of the earth's human institutions. The earth melts at the powerful voice of God. The center of military power, health and vitality, sustenance, peace for all of the people of God, all of that cannot ultimately be found in any human institution, but only in the presence of God and in the power of God's word. He speaks, the earth melts. This is why the psalmist can use the refrain both in verse 7 and verse 11 without any sense of restraint. The Lord of hosts is with us. The Lord of hosts, Yahweh Sabaoth. The God who commands the armies of heaven. The Lord of the heavenly armies is with us. The God of Jacob who has been with us and with our people for generation after generation, the God of Jacob, he's our fortress. Not our wisdom, not our intellect, not our health, not our family. It is our God who is our fortress and protection. Selah. Now, don't lie to me and say that you haven't seen The Lion King. I know most of you have kids or grandkids or great-grandkids that have dragged you to the movie theater or forced you to put on Disney+, and you've endured through uh, the animated Disney movie of The Lion King. So don't pretend, I don't know that one. I'm, I'm too holy to watch The Lion King. That's a lie, and you need to confess. And repent, it's a great movie. <laughs> There's this one scene where Simba, the, 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 the cub lion, is getting himself into some trouble. He's being chased by hyenas who want to take his life. He's, he's gone beyond the borders of the pride lands to a place that wasn't, he wasn't protected. The hyenas are chasing him through the elephant graveyard and he finds himself cornered by three ravenous hyenas who want to take his life and eat him. Simba being backed into a corner with the only thing that he can do in his nature as a lion to try to scare off these three hyenas who all are triple, quadruple his size is just roar as loud as he can. And so he whispers this little And 
and the hyenas laughed directly in Simba's face. <laughs> Especially the animated version. The animated version is so so great. I like the the real one or the the non-animated one too. But they're just so cartoonish. <laughs> They laugh at him and they're essentially saying, oh, that's so cute. And then one of them says, do it again. And so Simba stiffens his spine, goes deep from his belly. And as soon as he begins to let out his little lion voice, you hear the roar of Mufasa. Deep, bellowing king of the pride lands, scares off the hyena. Mufasa jumps in. He, he pushes aside the hyenas. He saves his son and disciplines him appropriately. Sometimes I feel that scene is a, is a metaphor for preaching. I just feel like a Simba. And if anything happens that's positive spiritually, it's because Mufasa is behind me speaking from the power of his word. Make the translation into your life. The raging chaos of this world, it it desires to rip us apart, cause us to be filled with fear, tear us apart like hyenas going after a little cub. But in the midst of the raging kingdoms of this world, we can be unmovable and filled with joy because of the one who is with us. Not because of the power of our voice, not because of the wisdom of our intellect, not because we are able to cunningly avoid dangerous situations if we're just smart enough, not if we have enough physical protection from us, then we'll just be safe and secure, but because we have the King with us. The one who is the fortress for our soul, the one who is powerful enough to just speak and the earth to melt. You, brother or sister in Christ, you are unmovable, not because of your own strength, not because of your own security, but because of the one that you are secure in, the one who is with you. And starting in verse 8, the the psalmist flexes a little bit. Now, I get quite discouraged sometimes listening to the way that Uh, The media portrays our faith and how they get certain people to prop them up as spokespersons to speak on behalf of Jesus and on behalf of uh, the Christian faith. And I was like, those spokespersons are not representative of the Christians that I know and I minister to and I love. And why are you using them? And usually those spokespersons are often, just to be honest, are, are often just embarrassing sometimes. They're like those weird cousins that we love, but we just wish they wouldn't say anything. At our worst, sometimes these weird cousins that get propped up by the media say things that are boastful, that are arrogant, and at our worst, sometimes ignorant to what is happening. But you know what? 
Sometimes, at some moments, flexing on the power of God is precisely what God's people need to do. Look at verse 8. The psalmist gives an invitation. Come. Hey, everybody, take a look. Come. Behold the works of the Lord. Then he starts naming what the power of God is able to do. Come, behold the works of the Lord. How he's brought desolations to the earth. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. The the psalmist is saying, you want justice? You want peace? You want a stop to the bickering and the rage of the nations and the rage of the human institutions? Come take a look at our God. See what He is able to do. Watch everything that he is about to do. Now fear tempts us in the midst of an uncontrollable situation, specifically when injustice is running rampant, to think if we just had more strength, we could exact more justice. If we just had more power, we could legislate fairly and do what is right at all times. And fear tempts us to take power into our own hands and control situations. Fear compels us to overreact when situations get out of hand and to fight fire with fire. Because fear tells us that we have the control and we have the power to control uncontrollable situations and therefore we need to be afraid of them and control it. But the psalmist invites the readers to pause. And after you pause, come, behold the works of the Lord. There is one who is greater than the greatest technological advances. There is one who is more precise and smart than the most healing medical innovation. There is one who is wiser than all of the institutions of all of the educational academies. There is one who is more powerful than all of the military power that all of the world has combined. He is the Lord. He puts his hand in front of the gun and stops it like it's a little pebble thrown by a toddler. He is the Lord. He can flip over a massive tank with a flick of his finger like it's a matchbox car. He can see all the Navy ships going through the ocean to try to invade another country, and he just picks them up like they are bathtub toys and overthrows them. Come, behold the works of the Lord. After the psalmist makes this invitation, God himself makes this invitation and makes this instruction. When you come and you behold my works, when you see my mighty power, when you see me flexing my strength, this is how you are to respond as my people. Verse 10. Be Still. 
Now, many people have massively misinterpreted this verse to pulled it out of context and said, just be still, man. Just relax. Don't worry about a thing. Like God is inviting you on a vacation. He's inviting you on a cruise. Just be still. Know that I'm God, man. Chill out. God is not inviting us to relax. God isn't beckoning us to go on a vacation and say, no worries, man. No, in this verse, God is calling His people to behold His works and calling His people to be still and know that the military is not God. Scientists are not God. Politicians are not God. Be still, God says, and know that I am God. Scientists will make their observations and draw their conclusions and put, that, put out their peer-reviewed journals and studies, yet none of their knowledge can match the infinite wisdom of our God. Politicians with their smooth words and their promises of peace will make declarations, but none of their statements are as trustworthy and as reliable as the leadership of our God. The military and their conquest and their uh, artillery and their mighty flexes of power to say, follow us, be on our side, and we'll give you peace. None of them can provide security for your life the way that our God can. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. When this view of God takes root in the believer's heart, we won't look for salvation in the military. We won't look for salvation in hospitals or political leaders. We will be able, amidst the chaos of this world and the raging anger of institutional unrest, be able to be still, look towards heaven, and know that our God has this under complete control. And one day, He's going to flex His muscles and show this world everything that He is about. And I don't need to take this situation into, into my own hands and under, under my own control. But I can look towards the heavens and I can know that my God will be exalted above the earth. And the closing confession that the psalmist has in verse 11 repeats verse 7. How can he know all of this with certainty? The Lord of hosts, the God of heavenly armies, the Lord of hosts, he's with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. A lot of you I know are pet people. 
I'm not a pet person. I had a hamster when I was six and it lasted three days. I think I'm not a pet person because my favorite animal is a lion. In fact, I think somebody coming in is like, oh, you're a cat person. Another person is like, oh, you're a dog person. I'm like, I'm a lion person. I would love to have a lion in my house. Now just imagine, do this imaginary thought exercise with me. Like, if you genuinely could have a lion living with you in your house. Like, the lion is with you. The lion is for you. The lion's not going to attack you or your kids. It's entirely at, with you. It's a member of your household. Now imagine you get a knock on the door by some agency that says, I hear you got a lion in there. That's against the law. You're going to need to cage that lion. And you respond, no, the lion is a part of our house. Like the lion protects us from intruders. The lion doesn't poop in the wrong places. It, 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 it knows what it, it knows. It's a member of the family. It's a, it, it's a part of us. It's with us. And the, the agency knocked. You can't have a lion living with you in the house. The proper response isn't to put the lion in the cage. The proper response to let the lion loose. Let the lion do its job. Let the lion be the protector of the family. Sure, the agencies can rage and, and, and say you can't have that, but what are you going to do? You're going to fight a lion? Brothers and sisters, some of us here tell ourselves on frequent occasions we need to put God in that cage. We can't bring him with us to work. It's, it's too unsettling there. We can't allow for him to help us in our times of trouble because then we would know how desperate we genuinely are for protection, strength, and help. And some of you, are, you're, you're fighting against the lion. You don't even want to have him to have anything a part of your, part of your life. And this lion is patient. He's long-suffering. He won't respond impulsively. But make no mistake, he's not safe. He's a lion. And, and one day we will see the fullness of his strength, the fullness of his roar, the fullness of his power. And for those who confess along with the psalmist that the Lord of hosts is with us, and that the God of Jacob is, is our fortress. Not only is he with you, but he also fights for you. So if you do not know him here this morning, I do have some bad news for you. You're, you're standing against the God of the universe. But the good news for you this morning is you don't have to remain there. 
you can turn away from your attempts to control situations and attempts to control your own fear and your own strength. You can confess it to the God of Jacob, the Lord of hosts, and his strength and his power won't be flexed against you. But when you turn to him as your strength, his strength will be provided for you and with you. This is the entire point. The Lion of Judah, who came to live the life that we could not live, die the death that we deserve, and be raised from the dead to flex his spiritual power over death and all of the kingdoms of this world that try to stop him. You can know him this morning by talking to me, one of our shepherds or pastors, and we can begin walking you through the God of Jacob who is with you and for you. And if you already do know him, and as I'm speaking, you're thinking of, I'm afraid of heights and public speaking and spiders, and I don't even want to talk to the person at the end of this pew at the end of this service. Brothers and sisters, don't try to conquer that fear in your own strength. Confess that fear to the one who is with you, the one who is for you, the one who will fight on your behalf and strengthen you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we praise you and we worship you for being the the God of heavenly armies that flexes his muscles for his people. The God who protects, guards, secures his people in in unfathomable ways. Heavenly Father, I I pray for us as a people to get this glimpse of, of your power and your glory. God, that we would not turn in fear when the kingdoms are shaking, when the nations are raging. That we would confess along with the psalmist, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of, of Jacob is our fortress. We thank you and God, we praise you. And we give you the remainder of the service and we pray that you would cause our hearts not to fear, but to fully surrender entirely to you so that we might be still and know that you are God.